Ladies and gentlemen, the following episode was recorded toward the end of April, some 10 days before the death of a giant of special effects and movie magic. We at Animation Aficionados would like to dedicate this episode to the life and career of Mr. Ray Harryhausen. some of the general comments people are leaving on our facebook are funny like one guy says teen titans go premiere tonight but i don't have the stomach to watch it (laughs) oh my that's how i felt about the the other show well i like what i like what pablo left which was uh lou Lou scheimer's dad punched hitler which which he really did which apparently is true so so lou scheimer's is 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 the son of rory uh I guess. Uh, doctor who reference you won't you won't get you know. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I got it okay Allison wonderland test footage wow what are you looking at uh the alice wonderland test footage you posted uh, oh oh that yeah yes i like edwin so space sentinels or space stallions neil space stallions <laughs> Oh boy, oh boy! How many people do you think we we pissed off with our last episode? Oh, I don't care. <laughs> See, One that's person. the proper that is the proper attitude. One person. <laughs> well, what about it... what about the whole turtles forever thing I added at the end there? Oh, I'm sure that'll ruffle some feathers, but you know, oh well. <laughs> it wasn't all that long either. We didn't really like give it our a real finish to it it just kind of like drifted off into other topics yeah well you're basically like you know stop bitching about 80 nothing being like 87 turtles oh well 87 turtles sucked anyways get over it i meant to rewatch the the documentary but i didn't really get a chance to that docu the documentary on the the restored king kong is really nice oh oh yeah was it like two and a half three hours or so yeah that's epic length neil well, that's that's different. I I don't like I don't like super long movies, but you know, when it's a documentary and it's something I can watch in pieces, and that's okay. okay. Plus, it's just really really fascinating. See, I'm such a dork that I actually read the uh, the King Kong script at one point just to see what got taken out of the movie. Oh, Neil. <laughs> well, as long as you know Spider Pit sequence, you're good. Yeah. That, it's like uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff leading up to that got that got taken out. Yeah. That was that was recreated by Peter Jackson. Yeah. Yes. Very very nicely, I might add. There's a making of featurette on the making of the the recreation of the Spider Pig sequence, which is that's actually kind of cool that Peter Jackson just had all this extra money and and equipment laying around. It's like, hey, let's recreate the lost Spider Pit sequence traditionally with the old. With the old technology. Oh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful. And we're, we're not going to use it for anything. We're just going to do it because we can. Yeah. Well, we'll just do this so we we have the excuse to put it on an extra on disc two of a movie that we didn't even make. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Sounds like and George it, Lucas. And I think there's even more of it um, on the uh, on the actual King Kong 2005. One of those one of those sets has like more footage from that. Mm-hmm. Oh, Neil, I have a funny story about Ro- my friend Rob and King Kong. Oh, what? Uh, Rob was a early supporter of HD DVD versus Blu-ray. Oh dear. I, I'm one. I'm one of those sad people. But see, the thing is, as soon as I heard Sony, I knew I knew the race was over. I knew it was already a new Blu-ray run the instant I heard Sony threw their hat behind Blu-ray. I knew instantly. Well, there were things about HD DVD. Uh, well, I know the debate's long over, but you know there were things about the coding of HD DVD that were you know superior to Blu-ray. Well, there were but... things that were that were superior about about the format of Beta too. But oh goodness, yes, Beta rocked. Oh, poor Beta. It still lived on in its own little way. Yeah. But Mostly yeah, that's in television. But that's that's. Well, anyways, Rob was a huge early adopter of HD DVD, and the first HD DVD movie he bought was King Kong, the 2005. Ooh. And uh, <laughs> and I kept on telling him, dude, you do know that that Blu-ray is gonna win. It's, you know, once Sony said PS3 is a Blu-ray player, HD DVD just lost, right? And and he was talking about, no, no, you're wrong, Ben, because you know Xbox I... has a has a HD DVD drive you can buy and hook up to it and like I have this little side caddy for my Xbox. <laughs> it's it's almost like, as bad as the as the it's, it's like, as the it's Sega like CD. I, I was just gonna say I have a CD player on my Sega Genesis. But but the, you know the, you you can't really totally knock Sega CD because it did have Lunar. Oh, you want me to sing the song? Okay. <laughs> no 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 no. That song's not on the Sega CD version anyway. Why is it not on the CD version? Because they hadn't written it yet. <laughs> All I know about Lunar is that song. And in fact, and in fact, the the boat song, right? Yes. Uh, they actually changed that part of the game. She doesn't originally go on the boat, so that's why she doesn't sing it on the Sega CD version. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> Like I said, the funny thing is the only thing I know about Lunar is the Lunar Boat song. There's so much more to that game. But anyway. Well, that's all I know. That's all I need. It's for Lady. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, so, so Neil, I'm thinking within a month we should be doing the Sailor Moon episode. Okay. I don't think my sister's going to make it because she she has a newborn and she's going to be deployed to oh, Germany soon. So oh, I'm thinking we can use Abby again. Oh, okay. Because Abby seems to know her shit about the shoujo, so. To steal myself for that one. Yes. Starlights? I'll be doing the entire episode with a with a screwdriver in my mouth. <laughs> Bite, biting down hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, Sailor fucking Moon. The Webcast Beacon Network has been covering and promoting creativity and the creative process since 2007, starting with the Webcomic Beacon, a topical webcomics podcast with a jovial bunch of misfits like your local morning radio show. Also, the Webcomic Beacon Newscast recaps, reviews, and discussions of community and industry news relative to comic creators, especially of digital distribution. Also, the Tropecast, the ever-tangential discussion of literary and visual memes. 
And finally, Web Fiction World. Before web comics, there was independent and self-published web-release written fiction and literature. Find this all at webcastbeacon.com. Be sure to grab a master RSS feed or master iTunes feed and not miss a thing. I think I've just about got all I know I need. Okay. Because um... I, I, I have a habit of like forgetting names. And I'd be like, oh yeah, this actor who played, uh, I don't want to do that on this episode. Ice skating? Yeah. yeah. Ice skating gorilla? Uh, yeah. Not that movie. Gorilla's on ice. Uh... I, I, will, I will defend the absolutely overindulged and terribly flawed Peter Jackson King Kong for two reasons. It gave me dinosaurs on trapeze and gorillas on ice. Well, as long as you said that it's flawed, that's okay. Oh, I totally it it's a guilty pleasure, and I will fully admit that. Also, I got to watch it with Peter Jackson, so you know, Ugh. I have fond memories. <laughs> oh you God, know, no! You know, that, that you know time, if I if I ever time. met Peter Jackson, I would ask him one question: hmm. When is when is uh, when is Brain Dead Two coming out? <laughs> That's a good question. It's my that's my favorite film of all time. Uh, when I did get, I got to talk to, with him at length with uh, with him and friend Walsh after the American premiere of Return of the King, and uh, we got in this really long conversation about the Frighteners and how the the kind of Dementor things and the Frighteners were kind of proto Nazgul for the Lord of the Rings movies. We also talked about what happened to all the Meet the Feebles puppets. Oh, actually, that that's one of awesome. that's one of Neil's favorite subjects. Meet the Feebles. What? <laughs> I'm making a joke. <laughs> Neil, Neil, Neil is actually a Muppets fanboy. Yeah, that movie. That's that movie's kind of like way off in the periphery for me. I'm, I know it exists, but I've never seen it. It's oh, you a, should. You should. It's a horrible, horrible periphery. <laughs> you you should see it, Neil, at least once. Meet the Feebles is is Muppets it, behind the laughter. It's it's times a hundred. It's it, it it's mm, how do I put it? It's crass. It's gross. It's disgusting. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, <laughs> hard to forget. It's yeah. It's rather hard to forget. I, I'll give it that. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Meet the Feebles is special. It 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 won a really dark and demented corner of my heart when I saw the full body cow puppet in bondage with all the piercings on her udders. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> That's utterly fantastic. Hey. That was a terrible pun. So should we get this thing rolling? Yeah, let, let's light this candle. Okay, okay. King Kong, King Kong, King Kong. Kong. Hello, and welcome again to Animation Aficionados. Tonight we are talking about the uh, epic classic movie King Kong. You, of course, know my co-host, TV Sister Neil. Have you ever heard of Kong? And joining us is Melissa Kersher. Hi. All right, and like I said, the subject is the classic black and white King Kong, which uh, has actually does have lots of animation in it. Yeah, which is why we're bending the rules for it, because I love this movie. And I watched this when I was eight years old, and when that first shot of King Kong came on the screen, that, that big, huge bust that they had that was, like, life-size, 
and they and it just filled up the entire screen. It like scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Way scarier than like anything they make today. I thought. Well, I think the the enduring quality of the original 1933 King Kong is that the stop motion animation gave it so much subtlety of gesture and you know emo- you know even emotional content that uh, it, people really gravitated towards. And I mean, we'll unpack this later, I'm sure, as I get <laughs> yes, as I get uh, into it. But yeah, so let's, let's talk about the people who worked on yeah. the biggest part of King Kong, the special effects. Who was the super, special effects supervisor on this deal? Well, Willis, we haven't even. Willis O'Brien is the man of the hour on this one. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, go ahead. Um. Well, I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say that uh, the animation was more than just like. It, it was it was significant because it, it was more than just like a creature show. It was the as you were talking about the animation, I was thinking about like uh, how it it made it made King Kong like a, an actual character, a, a real character in the movie. He wasn't just mm-hmm. like he wasn't just like an, an animal roaming around like the other uh, Skull Island uh, creatures. He was a real living, breathing character. And when he dies at the end of the movie, you know, spoiler. You know, for a movie eighty years old, mm-hmm. uh, you really, you really feel something for him, and that, that was like, that was really something for a movie made in nineteen thirty three, and it took special effects a long time to catch up with that. I mean, it, I can't really think of a movie that really, that was really like that for at least twenty years after. I mean, it did have it did have some precedents. I mean, you, it, particularly the Lost World from 1925, a silent dinosaurs running amok movie that uh, Willis O'Brien also worked on. But it, you know, it, as fantastic as the Lost World is, King Kong is the one that has really riveted people through the ages. Well, I think it's because it is just. The story, you say King Kong, everyone knows the story immediately. Everyone has seen spoofs of the story. Everyone has seen iconic images of King Kong on top of the building in New York. Everyone knows it. It's, you know, there's even there's even a game in basic where you play two giant gorillas throwing bananas at each other on the New York skyline. So everyone knows King Kong. Oh yeah, well even Donkey Kong was yeah. clearly a you know rip on King Kong or you know the God what was the the kaiju movie King Kong versus Godzilla or whatever it was originally which called. we covered in our <laughs> April first uh, uh, kaiju aficionados episode yeah we mm. did and that was I think that was actually pitched by Willis O'Brien but it was obviously not Godzilla oh at yeah that point. yeah it was I forget what the original version was going to be. <laughs> I think it was yeah. was it King Kong and Frankenstein? No, Frankenstein. No, it was Godzilla and Frankenstein. Well, Godzilla versus Frankenstein was actually the introduction of Baragon, right? No, wait. Oh, I'm mixing up my kaiju movies. This is bad. I, I need to watch more of them. Yeah, we, we've already <laughs> gone off the uh, gone off topic, and we're we're in we're in territory where I've already forgotten what all this how all this stuff came to be. Mm-hmm. But back to God, back to King Kong, back to, uh, let, let's talk about the, the story that I mentioned. The, the idea, uh, the idea is basically he, here's this director and he wants to make this the greatest movie ever. Mm-hmm. And he has this map to skull Island. So he charters a ship. He finds an actress and they're going to this Island 
to shoot this movie. They arrive and the the natives kidnap the actress, tie her to a tie her to a, a pole, and then open up these massive doors, and out comes King Kong. And then, well, an, an eight year old me pisses on the floor because yes. the giant the giant gorilla. Well, what's what's what I found fascinating is that Marion C. Cooper was was this great adventurer who like really did go out to like to like uh, all these all these like wild places where nobody had ever seen like no one had really ever seen a tiger before or gorillas and these were still like fantasy like almost surreal animals that people were just not familiar with and he'd he'd shoot them or he'd film them because <laughs> I don't want people to get the wrong idea. Well, maybe he did shoot, them, but anyway, I think, he, I think he shot them in other ways too. But... Yeah, yeah. Well, they and had then, to eat Neil, and then he'd uh, he'd bring he'd bring the film back to America and show people and uh, entire worlds that they'd never seen before. Well, the and... the the character of Carl Denham in King Kong basically is Marion C. Cooper. Yeah, there's there's a a little bit of uh, well a lot of uh, autobiographical uh, storytelling in King Kong. Obviously not with the gorilla, but you know just the way the characters are portrayed. Mm-hmm. In fact, Ernest Shodzak is is pretty much the the Bruce Cabot character. He's Jack Driscoll, and uh, Ruth Rose I think is is sort of the basis of uh, Andero. Mm-hmm. And it's it's funny how they they took themselves and put them in the movie and just made themselves larger than life. And and it worked. Yeah, it worked. And. Mm-hmm. And they they made like a, a fantasy world of this island, and the island is sort of like a it's it's almost like a golden book world where it's like it look you get to the island and it's suddenly this it's it looks like a well it is a painting in some in some respect but it it just looks like a storybook how like everything in the back everything in the foreground is really dark but as you go back and back and back it gets brighter and brighter and it, it really does look like something out of uh, out of a storybook. And everything's twenty percent larger than it should be. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and, and there's dinosaur dinosaurs. Yeah, that was the other thing that really drew me into the movie. I'm like, there's dinosaurs on the island. They're really because, like all kids, I was into dinosaurs. But yeah, they it's... didn't have feathers, Neil. That's okay. They didn't yeah, have feathers in Jurassic Park either. And they yeah, and the paleontology <laughs> community is really mad about that. That's okay. Yeah, but anyway, and, and all the dinosaurs drag their tails. And... That's okay. The only but, the only part know. that I really wince at is the T Rex. Like, oh, it's Grimlock. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> well, at least with you know when Peter Jackson remade the film, uh, he went you know out of his way to do old school kind of t-rex modifications he he didn't want you know quote-unquote real t-rexes he wanted snaggletooth monsters and i believe that was his actual actually they released a supplementary book for the for the for the movie like called the 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 fauna of of skull island oh yeah and it and says that the t-rexes are not actually t-rexes but (laughs) v-rexes the natural evolution of what t-rexes would become if allowed to evolve yeah and I hear Neil sighing. <laughs> a little bit, but I understand it's it's a fantasy story, so yeah. I'll let it slide. I, I was waiting for evolution does not work that way. I, I think I think it it gets to the reasoning of we want monsters with big teeth. Yes. 
And here you I, go. On, honestly, the giant grasshoppers freaked me out more than anything else in that. Oh movie. God, Spider Pit. Oh yeah, Spider Pit is freaky. That that's where the movie almost lost me a little because they're using machine guns to get get the grasshoppers off of each other, and I'm like, how are they not killing each other? <laughs> it's a lot harder to shoot people in the five foot uh, distance than you think, Neil. I guess. But anyway, I say this as, as someone who actually does shoot a gun. But we digress. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's so so they arrive in this fantasy island where where they kidnap the girl, tie her up as a sacrifice for King Kong, and he decides he likes blonde girls because he's never seen one before. So he takes her in, in, deep into the island, and the film crew decides, oh my god, we got to rescue her. Yes. And so it's a it's an, a safari through the jungle, yeah, and with, uh, with monsters popping up here and there, and people dying, and, and Bruce Cabot and Robert Armstrong and a bunch of red shirts all go after. Uh, King <laughs> yes. Well, it's true. It's true. The expendable people. We need expendable people. And this is where a lot of the uh, the infamous cut scenes start happening because. Uh, Apparently, a few years after it was released, uh, someone looked at it and said, "You know what? These are really gory scenes, and no one, no one needs to see them, so they cut them out." Well, and... the Hayes, Hayes Coda had just gone into effect. Yeah. You know, uh, Hayes Coda, I believe, was 1932, which would have been a year before King Kong came out, and so it would have been revised under the Hayes Code, if I remember right. And uh, so the the two most famous cutscenes that I can recall are first of all the one where um, King Kong gropes Fay Ray and then smells his fingers. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a little sexual. Yeah. But the big one that everybody talks about is the spider pit sequence. Yeah. And the the footage for that is actually lost, as far as we know. That's tragic. Yes. But that was that was like the first thing that was ever cut. Mm -hmm. The the the, there was a, a second cut that was the 1938 cut, which was a lot of those scenes remained lost for like decades. And yes. they actually found a print in England that had all of the scenes restored, except for the the spider pit scene. But right. you do you do have Kong smelling his finger. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, there is a very nice restoration of the full cut of King Kong for those of the for those of you who are listening who have never seen the film before or have not seen the. Uh, the restored version. There is a really nice restoration out there right now. There's uh, actually a, the one thing with the T-Rex scene that I liked was they actually added some, you know, you, you can definitely tell that the, that the, uh, the stop motion animators really did study animals, at least living animals, mm -hmm. because after King Kong kills one of the T-Rexes, he actually like plays with its head. Oh yeah. The, I think that's just a beautiful piece of animation where it, it, is it still alive? You know, he's playing with the head and the broken jaw and the, oh, it's grisly and very grounding Disturbing. at the same time. Yeah. But it's the kind of thing that, like I said, you get by watching apes, you know, it's more than just, you know, it, it, King Kong is more than just the monster of the monster movie. The King Kong is the character. Mm -hmm. And King Kong is, and that's one thing to keep in mind, even back in the old original movie, King Kong isn't evil per se. King Kong is just an animal. And right. and 
and they capture King Kong, bring him back to New York, and chain him <laughs> up for people to gawk at him. Of course, he's going to go crazy. Mm-hmm. And this is this is one part of the movie where I have to question both remakes because uh, both both remakes have a, an, an interpretation of the female, both uh, Andero and Duan, where. They, they, yeah, I hate that. Name. Oh God! What? It's like somebody misspelled oh. Dawn. Oh. But they have this interpretation of both characters that they somehow have a a relationship with King Kong, and I never got that in the original film. In fact, she's pretty much just standing there as King Kong is chained up, and she doesn't care. Well, you know, there are there are scenes in the original King Kong where she's actually repulsed. There is, there really isn't any. There's not a. Well, there's a magnetism be- from King Kong to uh, Anne Darrow yeah. in the original, but she is definitely not into King Kong. Yeah, she does not want to be there. <laughs> and it fascinates me that the remakes have all gone into that. There's this sort of weird, unrequited love story between the Beauty and the Beast. But that's one. That is one line. You know, it was Beauty that killed the Beast. Yeah. Well, the the closing line, the very famous closing line of the film. But at the very end, that 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 just means that King Kong, you know, I I, it, I never got that King Kong if that was any sort of actual attraction as much as it was, you know, she was like his favorite toy. Well, yeah, it. yeah, it, and that was well, not, he is the Beast. Yeah, that so. was not that was not so much a reference to Beauty and the Beast as it was a reference to the to the uh the proverb from the beginning of the movie that they totally made up which is something <laughs> something like uh like, an arab proverb i believe is what they they said it was an arab proverb at that it's it's something about the beast loses his power as beauty i don't know i don't remember how it went but it was i i remember someone saying that it was it was like not a real proverb and they just kind of made it up for the movie well, yeah. well neil there is an old vulcan proverb only nixon could go to china <laughs> <laughs> So, <sighs> so the yeah, I'm I am uh, my brain is suddenly stuck on the 1970s remake of King Kong, and I don't want to go there. <laughs> well, yeah. there is actually a funny story about that. It oh, has to... there are many funny stories, about that. and it has to do with the N- Nintendo. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, because uh, the company that yeah Universal Studios sued. What did they originally sue? They they they, they sued, sued someone to prove that that King Kong was in the public domain, and then when Nintendo made Donkey Kong, they promptly sued uh, Nintendo for copyright, which they didn't have, and that is and, one of the funniest stories ever. And Nintendo actually won. Of course they did. And this is this is Nintendo when they were tiny. Yeah. Yes. Well, it was like only like twenty five guys at the office, and it really was like the. Tiny Mario in the airplane knocking uh, the big gorilla Universal off the off the skyscraper. And one one neat uh, one neat thing they added was, if I remember correctly, one of the pilots in the planes was actually the director. Yes, yes, he was. Yes. Uh, and if I remember right, he's the one who actually throws the bomb that the gas bomb that hits King Kong and takes him off the building. And yeah. I have I have held that bomb in my hand. <laughs> The actual bomb still exists. The, the the actual prop. Harry Knowles owns it. That bastard. <laughs> he got it as a birthday present from Peter Jackson one year. 
Oh. That <laughs> asshole. <laughs> but I got to hold it, so. Peter yeah, Jackson has a lot of goo. Uh, has a lot of goodies. He has the Styracosaurus. Yeah, you know the the uh, the way he got that armature, the, the you know that armature which was actually used in King Kong, he that was originally in Forrest J. Ackerman's collection. And when Forrest Ackerman fell ill and couldn't pay his medical bills, uh, somebody had gone up to Peter Jackson. It might have been Harry Knowles and said, you know, you could you could help out the Forrest Ackerman if you you know, buy part of his collection and, you know, then he can use the money to pay for his medical bills and then you'd have all the fun toys and, you know, he'd know that, you know, they were in a safe place. So he, uh, the bit, the primary thing that, uh, Jackson bought off of him was the Stegosaurus. <laughs> right. And that, and, that mm-hmm, go ahead. That's Styracosaurus. Uh, it was supposed to be in King Kong and there's actually like uh, a photo of it in the, uh, in the log scene. Mm-hmm. Then it ended up in Son of Kong. Right. <laughs> but which, let's... Is, which is uh, a movie – it's sort of like a, an epilogue to King Kong, but it's uh, – not really. It's, <laughs> it's like half the movie isn't even on the island, and they get there, and they're, they're like maybe 20 minutes. And then it's like, oh, no, the island's sinking, and then that's the end of it. And, but another thing to keep in mind that's really interesting is some of the techniques they use, like uh, – like this is before green screens and anything that's even approaching e- even optical effects. This is so far before digital. The way that they were able to use, uh, they actually did projection on a screen behind the actors, shot the, the, with the projector at a different angle to do to do several different animation tricks. It was just amazing what they were able to do. Well, they were they were inventing that stuff as they were doing it. They were doing optical effects. It's just that it didn't exist before King Kong. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, they were they were also doing things like uh, I I believe they were also doing things like painting mats on mirrors and then scraping part of the mirror away uh, to get you know double exposure shots and things like that. It's it's yeah, just this, incredible. This movie really is a you know pioneering you know optical effects long before optical effects existed because everything else was you know basically what you see is what you get and by the way maybe some stop motion mm-hmm. and uh, that um kind of lost my place here so well you know since we're talking about the stop motion we could talk about the recreation of the spider pitch sequence Ooh, there we go yeah because uh, for part of the restoration of king kong uh earlier this last decade, uh, Peter Jackson, you know, apparently had time on his hands and he decided to recreate the spider, the lost spider pit sequence with only using tools that would have been available at the time. So he kind of staked out a small team of people at Weta workshop to recreate the spider pit sequence. So they, they found like a production photo that had been taken, which is like the one piece of evidence that this thing actually existed at one point and, uh, you know, did, did a bunch of research on it, you know, to find out as much as they possibly could about what it would have actually looked like and then filled in the gaps themselves. But they were doing things like they had tracked down the guy who owned the original King Kong armature and, you know, were you know, shipped him out to New Zealand so they could look at it and see how it was built and figure out what it was covered in and so on and so forth so they could make the other models with the same materials. 
Wow. And there, there is a uh, feature. There, so there are essentially two featurettes that came out of this that wound up on the restored uh, DVD release. There's the spider pit sequence itself that Peter Jackson recreated. And there's a, an incredible making of featurette about the making of the other featurette. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating Amazing. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I believe on the, one of the two editions of King Kong, the, the 2005 King Kong that came out was mm-hmm. uh, they, they didn't just recreate the spider pit scene. They had recreated King Kong himself mm-hmm. and they had shot some footage with that. And, uh, the the model that they came up with looked pretty close to one of the 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 main model you see in the uh, in the movie, which is kind of like the long face gorilla, and it sort of looks like that, but it also kind of doesn't. So they that that face is kind of iconic, and yet it's so hard to recreate. Nobody's really been able to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, wasn't one of the original uh, like wireframe skeletons saved? Yeah, that's yeah. actually the one that survives. Yeah, uh, there's a guy. I've I've seen that in person too. I saw that at San Diego once. Uh, that was. You got to see all sorts of cool things. The the, the coolest. Oh yeah. Uh, oh the god. The coolest they... movie prop I've ever seen was the miniature uh, flying Winnebago from Spaceballs. <laughs> oh, I've seen that too. That's awesome, isn't it? It's so tiny. <laughs> yeah, the uh, that was that was a cool little piece of model. But yeah, the uh, the King Kong arbiter, it's about, I don't know, maybe 15 inches tall. It's not all that big, but about all that's left of it is just the the metal bits because all of the the rubber and other coverings have just basically disintegrated and fall away, fell, fall, fallen away. Uh, but Which is yep. a shame. Yeah. yeah. They, did a, they did a lot back in the day to kind of uh, misdirect people from really knowing how the movie was done they really didn't want people to know that king kong this towering ape was really just this little stop motion puppet oh yeah so they they actually they actually uh uh produced some like blatantly lying uh i don't know if it was like in a magazine or something but it showed it basically like lying to people how they did the special effects like you know a guy in a suit or something (laughs) which obviously is nowhere in that movie Right, that that would have to wait until Godzilla, and then after that, the remake King Kong, which was mm-hmm. where they had where they had Smeagol do it. Well, not even not that. I'm talking about the the seventies, where it literally is a guy in a suit. Yeah, the Dino <laughs> De Laurentiis version, where there's nothing else on that island except for a snake. That's such wow. a terrible movie. That's so <laughs> terrible. It's such a bad movie. <laughs> oh. Oh. Although I have fond uh, fond memories of the seventies when that came out. Oh boy. <laughs> well, there's always Mighty Joe Young. Yes. Yes, yes. which is also a Marion uh, C. All... Cooper and Shotzak movie. And... Also has Willis O'Brien and has Ray Harryhausen. That is true. So this is so that's like the birth of Harryhausen, huh? Pretty much. Yeah, I believe that was his first big movie working on it. He he worked under Willis O'Brien for a while, but I think Mighty Joe Young was the first big thing he really worked on. And what was his last big movie? Howard the Duck? Oh. Harryhausen? Yeah. I don't think he worked he's, on that. He's still working. Oh. I thought he's gone. No, Harryhausen's yeah, still around. Yeah, he's still... He's, he's, it's hard for him to get around these days, but uh, yeah, he's... 
Uh, he was working on a short film just a couple years ago, if I remember right. Wait, 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 wait. Harryhausen's still alive, but Stan Winston is dead. Yeah. Yeah. That does not make sense to me. Harry... Harryhausen started before Winston. How what? Harryhausen yeah. is a sweetheart of a man, by the way. I know, but it's just... I, I had this... I saw him at San Diego Comic-Con one year. And he was walking around on the uh, sales floor, you know, just checking things out. And, you know, he kind of moves pretty slowly. But he was near the, I want to say the Lucasfilm booth. Oh, no. And, but somebody had put at the booth, whatever booth it was, maybe it was what a workshop or something. It's something that had really big maquettes and statues. They had this life-size statue of the Medusa from Clash of the Titans. And Harryhausen's walking along the aisle, and he turns to the Medusa, and he's looking at it. And he just nods, and he walks away. I'm, like, scrambling for my camera, going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> I, I didn't get the shot. But... Oh. Talk about no, talk oh, about yeah. another movie where the the remake is not even close. Oh yeah, well oh. not the, not that the original was anything special, with the exception not... of the special effects. The special effects were amazing in uh, Clash of the Titans, the original. Well, well the original at least at least attempted to keep with the mythology. The new one was just Sam Worthington and bullshit. Uh huh. <laughs> and for some reason, mocking the original because. They have nothing. <laughs> Is that the but, one where they they wasn't there like a golden uh, owl. owl? Yeah, and they and, kind and of. He's like, he's like, what's this? Oh, just leave it behind. Oh. It, anyway, it's like it's like it, they were basically saying fuck you, Harryhausen, right there. Oh. Uh, well. It's just so sad. But back to King Kong. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, but we digress. <laughs> Well, we that always digress. Happens, that, that happens a lot here. Um, Tension time. So. It's time for intermission, boys and girls. Movie Week in Review is the GeekCast Radio Network's weekly movie podcast. Steve and Mike take a look back on their favorite films and give you their thoughts. They also bring in co-hosts at times. If you are a movie buff, listen to M-Wire only on GeekCastRadio.com. Hey, I'm Gary. I'm Greg. I'm Chuck. And I'm Justin. Join the four of us every week on the Internet's number one G.I. Joe podcast, What's on Joe Mind? That's right. It's Joe News, reviews, and special guests like you've never heard them before delivered right to your MP3 player. Think of it as Joe Talk meets Sports Talk. And we make fun of Chuck. Right. Hey. We're just kidding, Chuck. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes Chuck makes fun of himself. Right. Hey. It's What's On Joe Mind. Every week on the GeekCast Radio Network, InsidePulse.com, Stitcher Smart Radio, and iTunes. Download and listen today. Can I say something about Transformers? No! Tooncast is dedicated to the cartoons we grew up with. 100 episodes and more make up one of the GCRN's most popular podcasts. Join hosts TFG and Mike, Optimus Solo, Terror the Rising Star, and tons of guest hosts. We also have voice actor and writer interviews. Tune in to Tooncast as we look back on the cartoons that defined us as geeks. You can find Tooncast on iTunes and the web at www.geekcastradio.com. Tune in. And now, back to the show. Yeah, so the script, I, I mentioned that I read the script at one point. And, um, I believe the original cut of the movie was like something like 13 Reels, and there was something about that being bad luck. Very superstitious Hollywood back in the day, I guess. So they 
the the uh, the elevated train scene is actually added to the movie. That's that's like the last thing they shot to bump it up to fourteen reels, and then they cut it back down to eleven. And I I pretty much figured out that they combined a couple reels and maybe took another one out. Most of what's missing is the the Styracosaurus scene. There, there's a huge Styracosaurus scene. There's like a family of them, and that's all gone. And uh, I don't even remember if that was uh, that might have been shot. I don't remember. And a, and another big chunk that was taken out is like when they're back on the boat. And I think that was the part where they were saying in the documentary that there was something wrong with the pacing, and that scene was just way too long. Yeah. And that's the scene where uh, Andero gets taken by the uh, by the natives, and uh, they they cut that way down. And uh, that's that's pretty much how the how the movie uh, exists today. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, a lot of those scenes where, you know, things were missing, stuff like that is, is stuff that that Peter Jackson like created, you know, recreated and also added completely new material like Monkeys on Ice and. Uh... <laughs> I'm, yeah. uh, I like Monkeys on Ice and yeah. and dinosaurs on trapeze. Damn it! I love my dinosaurs on trapeze. <laughs> and and so let's talk about minute count. The original King Kong is what Neil. It's 100 minutes, and, and, and the, the special edition version of the remake is twice that, I believe. It's actually two times as long as a 100-minute movie. And Neil starts nodding off around 100 minutes. Yeah, well, <laughs> what, I, what I like about it is that the movie is split up into two halves on DVD, and so mm-hmm. there I, I have a, a nice stopping point. I'm like, okay, I'm done watching the movie for, to, for today. I'll pick up part two tomorrow. <laughs> kind of like the Lord's the Lord of the Rings movies. To me, those are six movies, not three. Well, they were six books. <laughs> that they were. And you know what? Again, I'm just gonna say it one more time. I do like Peter Jackson. And I do like his work, but The Hobbit was a miserable failure. Oh. Well, oh. yeah. <laughs> I I am a huge Peter Jackson fan myself, and The Hobbit is is like the worst of Peter Jackson's habits and. Overwhelming all of his good habits. Makes me want to watch the Rankin Bass one. Isn't isn't it like the the Hobbit as a book is shorter than just one of the six chapters of Lord of the Rings, and somehow yes. they split it into three movies. Yes. Well, well, part of the things is is characters that are supposed to be dead are alive in the movie. Like the Defiler is dead in the books. Okay. He's dead, but he, he here he is as the main villain in the movie. It's like. Mm-hmm. Wait, wait, what? He he's dead, and uh, and you have the brown wizard, wizard Radagast. You know they, they got an actor of the class of Sylvester McCoy, and here he is. He's playing this. Oh my God, with the the fucking uh, rabbits with the ski. Oh my God, <laughs> I, I don't even know how to describe it anymore. With a sled, and it's ugh. I have not seen this movie. Well, the thing the thing is, the Hobbit is specifically a children's book and the Lord of the Rings are not. So, I mean, really the film should have a lighter tone than Lord of the Rings. But the the biggest downfall of the Hobbit in my estimation is that you have a very short tight book and you're cramming all this extra material in it for the Silmarillion and appendices and you know whatever you know, Tolkien wrote while he was high, and you know, Tolkien was never uh, high. <laughs> he, but anyway, he was, too, he was too busy talking about uh, about Christianity with uh, yeah, yeah, C.S. Yeah. Lewis. But anyway, 
there's all this extra material in the Hobbit movies to expand them to this big epic length. And, and the thing that made the Lord of the Rings movies work was that they actively looked at the Lord of the Rings material and said, this is way too much material even for three movies. We have to bring it down to the barest minimum and we really have to focus this story. Yeah, and, no Tom Bibandi or no uh... – yeah. Yeah, no, no Tom Bombadil, and you know if it the, the literally the first film is if it doesn't have anything to do with Frodo, it doesn't belong in there, and that's the end of story. It's very even though the, those three movies are eight billion hours long when you watch them all together, it's still very trim storytelling. It's just telling a very large story, whereas the Hob- it, the Hobbit's going in the opposite direction. And the interesting thing is is. The Fellowship of the Ring does have the only contribution that uh, that uh, Ralph Bakshi ever made in any sort of mythos ever. Oh, <laughs> where where there's a whip, there's a way. <laughs> no, Ralph you, Bakshi. You're talking about the scene where they they basically reshot one one uh, shot from from the Ralph Bakshi movie. Yes, where where yeah. all the Nazgul are are stabbing the beds. Uh, nice. yeah. that that's the only scene that 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 Bakshi created that anyone's like, hmm, let's do that again, <laughs> because because as everyone knows that listens to animation aficionados, Ralph Bakshi is a hack and he's a cop, oh. he's a he's a patent troll and he's a he's not as good as people say he is. Well, anyone he's who he's better any, than Lou Scheimer. That's true, but that's because Lou Scheimer actually paid him license fees for that patent. I don't know if oh, you know this, but, but, uh, but Ralph Bakshi holds a patent on rotoscoping. Hmm. Yes. He hmm. he holds a patent on tracing. Especially since I don't think he originated rotoscoping, am I correct? He did not, but he holds the patent on it. Huh. Funny that. Well, to be fair, his he has a very specific application, but it's the most direct oh, yeah. application of, of rotoscoping. Right. He he he's a patent troll. But uh, back to King Kong, where there mm-hmm. aren't patent trolls because it's public domain. Is it? No, I don't think it is. The, the movie itself, yeah the the movie itself is not. But you're talking about the mythos itself. Yeah, the mythos. Anyone can make a King Kong movie if they want. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, but uh, okay. Well, we digressed for so long. God, where were we? Um, <laughs> Lord of the Rings, no wait. Uh, no. no. <laughs> it was Beauty that killed the beast. It was indeed. I was going to well, say, like part part of that uh, that that movie, that the T Rex scene where they had the family T Rexes, that kind of reminds me of uh, of the uh, the Styracosaur family scene that was in the script of the original movie. But oh yeah. I think that's where he got it. I'm I'm sure it was. Yeah. And. Uh, trying to remember what else was in that movie that they kind of lifted well they they okay for the uh when hong so we're talking about the peter jackson remake right sure we're in the same place okay so in the peter jackson remake when they bring kong into new york and they have the exhibition you know in the theater yeah let's talk about the differences in the well uh, let her finish hang on okay i'm sorry the the um The dance that the dancers do around Kong and the music is entirely straight from 
the original film. That's right. Yeah, they they use Max Steiner's score and they they recreate that entire sequence. God, I, I thought forgot that was about cool. that. Mm-hmm. So it's been a while since I've seen that, but that that was that was a nice nod to the original movie. Yeah, there. I mean, there are many. I, the The entire movie is a love letter to the original, because that is completely Peter Jackson's wheelhouse. This that. King Kong is the movie Peter Jackson has wanted to make since he was a child. So I tried to make it as a child. Oh yeah, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) But the, you know, I, I, it is a deeply flawed film. It is way too long. It is indulgent. I love it. I don't expect other people to love it, but. But at the same time, it's, it's an innocent kind of indulgent. It's an innocent kind of charm to what he was trying to do. Oh yeah, and he actually I got a, a brilliant performance out of Jack Black. So, mm-hmm. so, so you know, it's not this. It's not Lucasonian. Lucas, that's a that's a word I've never heard before. <laughs> where, where where there's indulgent and then there's then there's George Lucas. Right, right. Oh, that's a different kind of indulgence. <laughs> That's... Well, the, the the thing is, you know, the results of, you know, the later George Lucas work is it's all kind of just soulless. Whereas at least with King Kong, you can tell Peter Jackson was loving every minute of it and everybody working on that movie was loving working on that movie. Yeah. Like I said, he got a brilliant performance out of Jack Black mm-hmm. and 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 versus versus George Lucas, who drained all the soul out of Ian McGregor. Mm-hmm. Oh, that poor Ewan. Also, he, looked, the hollow film. he looks killed, so lost in so many scenes. Younglings. <laughs> he's like, he's like, uh, where's General Grievous again? As he's looking around a giant green room with nothing in it. Mm-hmm. But uh, well, we mentioned the score. One of the things I like about Max Steiner's score is that it's completely absent for like the first third of the movie. Oh, yeah. You don't hear anything until they get to the island. I mean, not a thing. And once it sets in, that is a, an amazing classic movie score. Yeah, Ma- yeah, Max Steiner was one of the great uh, cinema film uh, music writers of history. He's just fantastic, and and uh, King Kong is one of his great scores. I think really good stuff. They uh, did a really nice restoration on the score too. You can buy it on CD. It's nice. And that's another one of those scores where. You know, there are different themes. There's a theme for Andero and a theme for King Kong, and there's a theme for this and that. Mm-hmm. And even though they're all they're all separated, they all blend together as well. And that's kind of cool. I love scores that do that. Mm-hmm. Sort of like Transformers. <laughs> yeah, that's the other movie that I always I always <laughs> point to, which is kind of asinine that I'm comparing a 1986 cartoon movie to King Kong, but no, oh, it isn't. Yeah. Don't. don't, don't. Ever downgrade the cartoon, Neil? <laughs> well, it did have Orson Welles. True. Uh, someone do you here for a purpose? <laughs> but anyway, getting back to Max Steiner, I, you know, I think that is the King Kong score is one of the very early examples of using light motifs in film scores. I mean, the the concept of using a light motif where you have a a theme for this character and a theme for this character, it's not entirely a new thing by this point, but it. Kind of hard. If I remember right, that stuff kind of started right around Wagner, which was eh, not all that long before King Kong came out. I mean, we're talking about what forty years 
if that mm. means interesting stuff. Very good stuff. So, Neil, what's so, else on your notes? Uh, well, I had a couple more things about Willis O'Brien here. How uh, we talked about the script before. A lot of what's in the script for King Kong actually came out of another movie that never got made called Creation, and that's where that's actually where a lot of the armatures come from, the, all the dinosaurs, because they were made for Creation. In fact, the log scene comes from Creation. It 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 what started. What is out, Creation about? It's a very dull story about a family that get that get shipwrecked on a on an island very similar to Skull Island and the whole island is about how they're trying to get rescued and they have to make a like a radio or something and there's there's like a, a dramatization of it on the King Kong bonus disc and it's I can understand why it didn't get made because it's kind of boring mm. but it's it's kind of this interesting artifact because there was like a test reel shot for it it's, it's not very long I think it's like four minutes and uh, God, what else did I have here um you know, I had some, I had something I didn't write down, and I had it in mind just a second ago, and now I lost it. Well, that's okay. That is I'll, perfectly a okay, Neil. I'm gonna, uh, I'll take this brief break to tangent back to something that I was going to mention earlier. Is that uh, regarding the uh, 2005 version of King Kong? I think one of the best things to come out of that movie was the production diaries that. Peter Jackson did with his team during the making of the movie because every week what they were doing was they were making a mini documentary on set while they were filming the larger film and they would release it on the web. So like this week we get to talk to the horticulturalist, horticulturalist we have on set to set up all the jungle plants <laughs> and here's how they do it. And, and here's how you make mud. And, <laughs> You know, and the next week they'd talk to, you know, the the editor and, and how the editing process and all those production diaries. I think you can buy as a set separately from the King Kong movie. And those things are like, you know, film production in a box and they're fun to watch. They're really interesting. Hmm. So if you if you want to look at all the nitty gritty aspects of modern filmmaking on a major budget motion picture. That's a really fun thing to watch. You know, like one one day they, they go out and they talk to the people who are providing all the classic cars for the New York scenes. I mean, you know, they talk to the people who are doing all the, the, the fake building flats, you know, in New York or the people who are doing the uh, computer model of 1930s New York. And, you know, all the research they had to do to recreate pretty much all of Manhattan. <laughs> in a computer just so they can film those scenes. Great interesting. Stuff. Very, really, very interesting. Really great stuff. And then, you know, of course there's a few where they're just fucking around. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they, they give the camera to Andy Circus for a day and, and he just runs off and does something with it. <laughs> what do you expect? Is that the one where they have like the gift and they're all like taking the gift from each other or something like that. I remember seeing yeah. the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, the best one was at the same time in Australia, the Superman movie was being filmed. You know, the Brandon Routh Superman? With mm -hmm. Brian yes. Singer at the helm. There's one day that Peter Jackson and Brian Singer decide to swap jobs. <laughs> so Brian Singer goes to New Zealand, directs a scene of King Kong. And, and, and uh, Peter Jackson goes to Australia to direct a scene of Superman. <laughs> 
And what was really funny was Brian Singer was also doing video production diaries for Superman. And so that week, the production diaries that came out from each of those films, from those two productions, showed different aspects of the same prank going on. <laughs> wow. Hilarious. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, what? I just remembered what it was. We were talking about creation and uh, how that's how that's a. Uh, a, not a very good movie and was tangentially related to King Kong. There's another movie that is related to King Kong. It was shot like not only at the same time, but on the same set with a lot of the same cast. And that would be oh, the right. most dangerous game. Yes. Which I just, I just saw last year and it is terrible. Oh, is that the one where they hunt humans? Lies, lies and terrible, <laughs> terrible. Oh, lie. I, I was like, Oh, this is, I just did not enjoy that movie at all. <laughs> the, uh, the the time I'll give it that uh, the timing. If you're not used to watching films of that era, that timing can be really really slow in that film. But it is it is a a classic, and uh, I love the concept of it. And it it ha- it does have a lot of the same sets. The only one that really caught my eye was the log. I mean, it is clearly yeah. the same log. Oh, totally. Amazing. But that's that's basically how they made King Kong is they were shooting the most dangerous game during the day, and then they moved some of the sets around and and redressed the actors and shoot King Kong later. Well, that was uh, pretty common in those days. Yeah. The, uh, the uh the Bela Lugosi Dracula, uh, you know that that film crew, the American film crew would be on those sets during the day. And then the Spanish film crew would c- come in at night, and that's they right. made their own Dracula movie. Which I've and been told by people who see it is actually superior. It's amazing. I've heard, I've heard that, yeah. absolutely amazing. The, actually, actually, Pablo is the one who told me that, that, that it's uh, superior. Their Dracula is kind of lame, which is very sad. Yeah. Um, but it, with the exception of Bella Lugosi and Dwight Fry, the uh, uh, Spanish version is superior in every respect. It's really moody. It's beautifully shot. Uh, it it, it's, it is really, really cool. And I believe the Universal, uh, the most recent Universal releases of the Bela Lugosi Dracula on DVD also include the Spanish version as an extra. That's Children awesome. of the Night. Yes. <laughs> With beautiful music they make. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, Anyway, the most dangerous game. How many movies has uh, that movie? Has how many movies has that movie inspired? I mean, there's oh, there's yes. Hard Target. There's the Pest. There's <laughs> I mean, it, there's that thing that they made with Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> oh God. Oh, I mean, this movie has been remade, remade and plagiarized so many times. And the original, I was really hyped for the original, and then I watched it. I'm like, hmm. Maybe I need to rewatch it, 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 but it really didn't blow me away the first time I saw it. Well, it's it's more of a, like an adventure story. It's not played out like an action movie. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it's kind of hard to get into anything if you're expecting an uh, an action movie. It's hard to get into anything before the 1960s because really the first modern action movie was Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. That's the first film that was actually filmed like an action movie. A modern action film. Oh, oh, my my uh, my friend Pablo Prino has just ironed me and says and reminded me to mention the uh, cartoon series where Kong and a scientist do the fusion dance. Oh, oh good God! Oh. 
Why, Pablo? Uh, why? Oh. Why? I take it that you have seen this. I haven't seen it, but it sounds terrible. Just when you said King Kong cartoon series, I was already tapping out. A a, a dark corner of my brain just shuddered horrifyingly. And is that the one with Dudley Moore? <sighs> Dudley Moore was in a cartoon. Yeah, I vaguely remember reading at some point that Dudley Moore was in a King Kong cartoon that I've never seen and don't want to see. How did he? How much rent did he have to make? <laughs> Dudley Moore was a thing back in the 80s. Yeah, he, uh... He, he you know, he... Well, when Arthur hit, for like three or four years, he was actually a thing. Well, when he gets stuck between the moon and New York City. Mm-hmm. The only movie I thought was really funny, what, what was it, Crazy People? Oh, well, yeah. You know, it's crazy, but it's true. That movie cracked me up. It was like they were doing like a, a commercial for, for a UPS type company, and it was something like... We'll screw them to get to you or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, Volvo, they're boxy, but good. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty brilliant little movie. Actually, Underrated. if you want to see Dudley Moore in fine form, you watched Bedazzled, because that also has Peter Cook in fine form. But this is pretty well off topic. <laughs> this that is how our podcast goes. That happens at times. It's not quite as structured as other podcasts, but that's because we don't have a strict uh, time slot, uh, our allotment. Moving on. <laughs> Had to do it, Neil. Okay, but hmm, what what else? What haven't we covered? Um... Yeah, this is so disorganized, but it's it, it's been a good show, so that's okay. Oh yeah, well, uh, you know, Marin C. Cooper, uh, interesting fellow, the the director of the original King Kong. Uh, we did talk about his exploits a little earlier, but I think one of the more more interesting things he did in life was he actually was the main developer of the Cinerama process. <gasps> that's right. Uh huh. So the the super 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 widescreen epic movies of the 1950s that came out of the Cinerama process. And uh, Marion C. Cooper actually owned three theaters that were dedicated just to playing cinema, Cinerama format movies. Two of them were in Colorado, and one of them was here in Minneapolis, probably about five miles from where I am standing right at this very moment. And unfortunately, uh, it, and, and that, that movie theater was called the Cooper, and unfortunately, it was torn down in 1992, oh. uh, right after its run of um, Dances with Wolves. I remember this happening when I was in high school, and I was devastated because it was this amazing 1950s glam cinema house with it. It was kind of this weird circular building and it was it was one of the more amazing cinema houses that were ever built in the world and it's gone that's sad yeah what a movie to go out on yeah apparently in in the mid 80s when they restored lawrence of arabia they played it there in cinerama format and i wasn't there and i'm devastated (laughs) uh but anyway well, there was a way to read. Yeah, but yeah, you know, it, he was Marion C. Cooper was just an interesting guy. He was he was into pushing the envelope of filmmaking. He was into 
exploring the world. He, you know, he flew planes and did all sorts of daredevil stuff. And he was yeah. like, he was like George Lucas and Indiana Jones in one person. Pretty much. Except, except without the suck. Without the oh, suck. Oh, George Lucas was, he had, he had a couple years there where he was pretty good. He had a couple of years where he had good people surrounding him and telling him, no, you can't do this. Yeah, particularly his wife. He he owes a lot to his editor of his early films. Actually, Pablo told, tells me that that's the reason why so much has changed in the original Star Wars, just so the editor credits go back to George. Mm-hmm. And which then, is uh, kind of shitty. Yeah. Yeah, he was, he was a total asshole to his wife. <laughs> and then... Uh, on that topic, uh, uh, King Kong owes a lot to the uh, uh, people who weren't married. Uh, Ernest Shodzak's uh, partner, Ruth Rose, who actually yes. wrote King Kong. Yes. Or adapted adapted it from uh, the two prior versions, which had a lot of the elements that are famous in King Kong, such as the, the ape on the on the skyscraper and the the island and everything like that. But she really she's really the one who made that movie work and brought the characters out. So one of the greatest movies of all time is written by a woman. Absolutely true. Yes. Well, I don't care as long as the movie's written. <laughs> there, there were actually a lot of uh, really great female players in uh, early Hollywood. It wasn't until about the 1950s that women kind of fell out of all the uh, power positions. Oh. But, you know, you had people you had people like Ida Lupino was directing movies or, you know, one of the more terrible examples to bring up. You had Lenny Riefenstahl, the head director for the Nazi party. Uh, but, you know, she made brilliant movies. They were Nazi propaganda, though. Uh, but, it, you know, Hitchcock wouldn't have gotten anywhere if it weren't for his wife, Alma. Because she was his editor and, uh, you know, one of his main script writers for a long, long time. You know, w- women did a lot to make early Hollywood. And if it wasn't for if it wasn't for Edward's wife having a chiropractor. <laughs> oh, let's not go there. <laughs> you, you know we, wouldn't have, we wouldn't have had the quote unquote last Bella Lugosi movie ever made. <laughs> oh, boy. I can't believe we brought up Ed Wood. Well, we bring up a great independent filmmaker. You always have to bring up Ed Wood. It's true. It's true. Although the movie made about him was pretty good. It was an amazing movie. I love that movie. Yeah, that was back before Tim Burton went crazy, too. Well, he... Tim Burton's always had kind of a spotty yeah. look. Yeah. I can't believe he remade Frank and Weenie. You know what? That was actually okay. I like the original better. I I do too. I I'm all for short subjects over, you know, uh, feature films. Um, but we, for as many ways as that movie could have gone wrong, it was okay. Congratulations, you didn't fail really hard. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, you want to see something really depressing? Look at the look at the design for Frank and Weenie from that movie, and then look at the Family Dog. Oh mm. God, it's the same thing. Well, it is. Are you saying he's a plagiarist? He's kind of a self-plagiarist. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not. Uh, I'm. I'm not. Uh... See, this is where I start forgetting names because there was another director who who playfully accused him of, of plagiarism, and now I can't remember his name. Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith. There we go. <laughs> How did I forget Kevin Smith's name? 
well, what happened was, if for those who don't know the story, uh, Kevin Smith uh, jokingly accused uh, uh, Tim Burton of ripping off the end of a uh, of chasing his, chasing dogma. The, the yeah, comic chase, strip. yeah, end of chasing dogma from, in Planet of the Apes, and and Tim Burton says, "Oh, that's ridiculous." Uh, I don't even. I haven't read a comic book in my life. And Kevin Smith said, "I saw Batman. That's obvious." <laughs> what does Batman not do? Kill. What does he do at the end of the movie? Kill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that's another movie that doesn't quite hold up for me for some reason. <laughs> anyway. Tim Burton, not an action director. No. That, this we learned from Batman. <laughs> well, let's get Brockheimer on the phone. Boy. I love that one of the car chases in Batman is basically four right turns in a row, and that's all it is. <laughs> you go black, turn right. Go black, turn right. Turn right again, turn right again, and we're done. That's all it is. I'll get drive through. <laughs> I prove this city believes in good. Oh, we're off the rails again. Okay, anyways, so. anyways, <laughs> I think we have, we're conged out here. Yeah. Right, guys? yeah, we're probably pretty tapped out. Yeah. All right, uh, so this is our special on King Kong on the anniversary of King Kong. Uh, hope well, you all not, enjoy. Not really the anniversary, we missed it by a couple months, but it, it, this movie is 80 years old, and I re- when I realized it this year, I was like, holy crap. We have I that I was like that's it we have to do this episode. Yeah. So uh, overall, yes, even I am going to say you have to see King Kong, the original King Kong once. Yeah. And if you have a weekend where you absolutely have nothing else to do ever, the Peter Jackson one. It has dinosaurs on trapeze. Open the yeah. door. I no this I love this movie uh, easily easily in my top ten movies of all time. Um. The I got it in like on DVD in like a a three movie box. It it was funny. I could I could either get like King Kong in like a in like a tin case, or I could get King Kong bundled with Son of Godzilla and oh my God, Son of King Kong edit and <laughs> and uh, Mighty Joe Young. And I chose the three disc set because what do I need a tin for? I'm not a super collector. And at least two of those movies are good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they tried, you really feel, they yeah. tried with Son of Kong and they didn't they just did not capture the original. Well, it's lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Really. It it really is. It really is. But yeah, overall recommendations around the room. So uh, this year host Ben with TV's Richard Neal. With Melissa Kirscher from Tidden Lizard Productions dot com. And we're saying goodnight. Good night. Good night.